You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this week is an Indie Talk week, and that means I have my co-founder and good friend with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello to the beautiful people out in Indie Land. <laughs> indie Land. What's up, folks? Good to be here. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's week, is this week three or four of Safer at Home? <laughs> Man, I feel like it's week seven, dude. <laughs> year year seven. <laughs> no, yeah, this is this has been going on for a while, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the episode. But I think there's so much information out there, um, and, and so many different words and terms. You'll notice I use the term "safer at home" because I refuse to use the word "quarantine." Do you know yeah. why that is, Nick? Yeah, I'm on. Well, I'm with you on that too, man. I definitely say safer at home. You know, this is a, this is a choice we're making. There you go. I won't say quarantine because I'm not sick. Right. You don't quarantine healthy people. You quarantine sick people. Yeah. Right. And if you're quarantined, if you're keeping healthy people at home, then I'm afraid that's something else altogether. But, but we, we are, we are noticing, uh, that everyone is, it has their own little way of dealing with, um, this safer at home period. And then also some have a way of getting a little bit of favor out of it. And, and that's part of what we want to talk about today, just about how you can come up a little bit. It's a, it's a, it's an opportunity to do something interesting and, and kind of be ahead of the market a little bit. And, uh, the, the last couple of weeks, you know, we had talked a little bit about Quibi and, you know, some of the stuff, Nick, you know, I was saying, I was disappointed that Quibi wasn't opening up their platform for independent creatives, but then, uh, uh, you know, it's their right to, to curate and they'll, they'll curate either way. But I started thinking that still shouldn't preclude, uh, indie creatives from just taking advantage and, um, and, and pivoting themselves in this time, Nick, like, like, wouldn't it be an interesting time right now if, if you had a roommate or if you and a friend were, you know, were, were safer at home together, if you could start to write a, a two man or two woman or, or guy and girl web series, wouldn't that be, and then, and then just try to sell it to Quibi, uh, once you have enough shot, I mean, that might be a pretty interesting pivot, Nick. Yeah, I think that, you know, whether it's Quibi or, I mean, even at some point, uh, some of the other small distributors, some of the major distributors and streaming channels are going to want to, are going to have to seek more content. So, you know, right now there's actually nothing wrong with creating content because there is going to be a home at some point. 
And even as people turn their attentions away from Quibi or Netflix because they consumed a lot of their content, they're going to be looking elsewhere. You know, they'll look to YouTube. They'll look to um, Vudu. They might look to Vimeo. They'll look to TikTok. They'll look to a bunch of different places, you know, Facebook Live, Instagram. You know, so there's a lot of places for people to consume content. Uh, but, of course, you know, they can't consume your content if you're not making it. Yeah, that's it. And, and it, it's our guess. And we talked about this uh, many times over, over the last couple of years. And uh, there's a resource, there's a book we love called Blue Ocean Shift. And it just talks about uh, its general concept is it's trying to create product that doesn't uh, live in a red ocean. And a red ocean is an ocean full of sharks and full of competitors that are all eating each other up, thus making the water bloody and red. Instead, you want to go to a blue ocean where no one's there. And so I think what we're seeing is a lot of creatives are creating their own thing and they're, and they're out there doing awesome stuff. I've seen creatives even pivot to being mask makers and food delivery people and working for shipped and doing all kinds of stuff. But, um, but if you if you're making those content pieces, for example, and you're putting them on Instagram right now or Facebook um, or TikTok um, or Snap, th- those places are red oceans right now, right? So so you've you know dramatically decreased your opportunity to be seen. Um, whereas I, you know, I think that Nick, you would agree that because could be spending so much money on marketing and positioning their product that even if you didn't, weren't able to sell to Quibi, you're going to be able to sell to one of the 50 competitors that are right around the corner. And so we know that one competitor is named Snibble and they're out of Canada, I believe. And then there'll be a competitor to that and one to that and so on and so forth until we have a winner. But Right now, you have an opportunity as a filmmaker to be in this empty space, so to speak, where you can sell and be sort of first in. And we all kick ourselves for like not being first in on YouTube or not being first in on Instagram and things like that or on Twitter. Well, this is a chance to try to be first in. And, you know, all you have is time. Right, Nick? <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. And I think that you, know, you talk about being first in. Uh, you mentioned a couple of the platforms, but I think that. You know, being first in right now is uh, when it comes down to the co- the type of content that's being created. Uh, so you mentioned Quibi, and I think their whole thing is what ten minute episodes that you can watch wherever. If that, some of them are four to five minutes long. Right. So I think that that's the place where you know, like you like you call it, it's a, it's a blue ocean. There's opportunity there. Uh, but it's also watching the trend, you know, so Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, these are all kind of part of the social trend that happened that became ubiquitous. Like now everyone does it, you know, we got to keep thinking for content creators. Okay. Where is content creation going? You know, what is the trend? What is the next step? What is the next phase? Uh, and you know, Quibi type of content, the 10 minute content or shorter, is likely where things are going, you know? So even if you can't get your foot in the door at Quibi, if you're first into making that kind of content, same thing back to YouTube days, imagine if, you know, you weren't first in on YouTube, but you were at least making, you know, how to videos on a subject or creating a brand for yourself. And you just had a treasure trove of content. But once you felt comfortable putting it out there, you'd have a bunch of content to just deliver to that platform and you'd be riding the wave. Um, so I think that that's the same type of thing here is that you got to start thinking about the types of content that people are consuming and 
you know, seeing what you can do to shift or change the way that you create in order to meet that current wave of content. Yeah, I, I love it. And I wish I wish we could employ and maybe we will some sort of data scientist. Oh, wait, we have one. Uh, no, but <laughs> you're, you could do this, Nick. Um, we need to develop some sort of um, data and, and some sort of formula around this that pr- that provides value, because I have a sneaking suspicion that um, it's not that as a creative, you shouldn't place your things um, in, in these red oceans I mentioned before, which are on social. So Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, et cetera, Facebook. It's just that I wonder what the value is of competing with the entire world for likes and views is in 2020, right? If you're not a celebrity versus um, competing with, you know, orders of magnitudes, less people on some less popular platform that isn't quite you know, um, there yet and doesn't have like, like, you know, if you were to, isn't there one called, uh, uh, Vero or Vivo or something like that. That's like growing in popularity right now. Um, there, uh, yeah, it's Vero V E R O. So, you know, what, what would be the value of posting just to Vero, uh, instead of, and, and you know, for us, Nick, we're, we're we're eating our own dog food here. We we just don't compete in massive red oceans for likes. It's just we we do it as simple marketing. Let's say for our podcast or for something we're doing. Um, but in, in terms of a, a true marketing push, I think it's hard to break through um, unless you're s- selling. Uh, retail products. Right. And, and so then you're pushing and it's more like a campaign, but if you're a creative and you want to be seen, it's hard to get outside your, your circle of friends and people who follow you to get to that wider audience right now. So I wonder what the value is of doing that over and over again, versus putting it on a place like Vero or wave, or, or maybe you start a Reddit thread or uh, maybe you, you, you put it on, Triller or, or Daisy or Dayflash or something like that. It's one of these yeah. lesser social media networks. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, I think you're, I think you're getting to a point that, you know, we have talked to filmmakers about before, which is um, you have to try all the things, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned being a celebrity, like it's so easy to be a celebrity, jump on, you know, uh, TikTok or Facebook or Instagram. And all, all of a sudden you've got, you know, 200,000 followers in a week, you know, or in a day, um, just based off of your brand, you know, it's just there, it's easy. And you're, you know, taking the attentions of all these people away from someone else who might create something. That's that competition you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I think there's still value in all of those things because they are so ubiquitous as, as social, uh, media content delivery mechanisms and engagement mechanisms where, you know, if content creators, any content creators know their audience very well and they know how to deliver content to that audience, you can be successful in engaging that audience on any of these things. Uh, but to your point, you know, is it enough to just go to that audience on Facebook or Instagram? No, not if your audience is on Vero, <laughs> you know, right, if they're there right. too, you got to go there too. 
you know, you got to be where they are. Uh, and if you're delivering some of the same content, that's fine, you know, across platforms, uh, because you're just saying, Hey, I'm going to make sure that I'm getting my content to where my people are. So I think that for, uh, independent creatives, it's a lot more about engagement than it is just the, the likes and the follows. Like you actually have to be out there speaking to these people directly. You know, you have to provide content that's specific to them. And of course, you know, pulling back from that, you got to know who they are to begin with on, when you're a celebrity, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't care who they are. They just need to like me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no specific demographic. There's nothing like that. It's just, no, they just need to like me or know who I am and they're going to follow. But for an independent filmmaker or content creator, you got to know this specific audience that you're speaking to, what they like, what they don't like. And you have to be able to engage them on as many platforms as you possibly can. It's been fascinating to watch celebrities, uh, get on TikTok. Yep. Fascinating because, <laughs> because now all of a sudden everyone's dancing as if they didn't know you couldn't do something else on TikTok. But that's because it came from Musical.ly and Musical.ly did a pivot and it's worked out for them uh, tremendously. There's a whole talk I could give on why Musical.ly was better than TikTok, but because it only catered to people with super talent, it wasn't going to be viral enough. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> but it's been fascinating because you see celebrities who should not be dancing. And, um, they look like they're in pain, but they have to do it. They have to feed the machine. They have to be relevant and relevancy is their drug. Right. And, yep. That's the key right and, there. And, that's what I was going to say. And, and, that's be okay. relevant. and then there are people that are effortless, like Will Smith that just, he's effortless. He's the reason, the reason why he's done so well uh, in the last three or four years on social is because he's just him. And yep. he's absolutely effortless in his approach to, to the whole platform. It's not, he's not in pain. There's nothing, he's not put out by it. It, it doesn't seem like there's a, a publicist in the background, uh, saying, uh, to do it <laughs> like, right. he, like he actually wants to do it. Um, and I think that's great. I, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. And it's look, it's great quarantine, uh, slash safer at home, depending on your status, uh, content. And, and, um, speaking of that, it brings us into, to sort of the next thing that, that we wanted to talk about, which is if you have a film that's already distributed, this might be an interesting time to contact your distributor, right? I mean, I think it's fair to say, so we've had, we've had, um, in my lifetime, so some of the biggest health scares have been HIV AIDS. Then we had, um, SARS, MERS, um, Ebola, and now this, right? So I would say in my lifetime, there's been nothing that has come close to this in terms of the way the public has been controlled and, and the way that, um, the, the world's reaction to it has been right. Uh, because it's so global. And I think it's fair to say, when you talk to your distributor, we are in a once in a lifetime, well, we hope once in a lifetime, it may not be, it may 10 years or it might be something worse. That's really terrible. Right. Uh, not that this isn't, but I mean that, that, that's a uh, species threatening, let's say. Um, but right now, as it stands, this, this is a once in a lifetime, uh, zeitgeist we're in a once in a lifetime, uh, 
situation where we're seeing all TV viewership up by 60%. Netflix was already dominating. They're up 70%. Hulu's up, I think, 40 or 50%. And so across the board, you have, you have a product right now. If you're a filmmaker and you have a film that's already in distribution, you have a product that the world wants finally, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely an, an opportunity and, you know, the one caveat that I want to make sure that, you know, we always put on things because, you know, we, we talk, we always talk about, you know, story is king. We talk about great stories. It's about great film, you know, great works of art. And I think that we'll want to continue that theme here and then basically say, if you have a great piece of art and I think right now, um, well, I guess you could say even b- before this all happened, um, a great piece of art or a good piece of art, uh, there were qualifiers for that. You know, how do you determine what you want to take as a distributor? Um, how do the streaming platforms determine what they want to take? And I think it's, some, you know, some of it starts with, you know, the brand associated with the content. And that's something that in, unfortunately independent filmmakers, you know, don't really have. Right. So what's the, what's the next layer uh, the next layer are things like, you know, um, festival winners, you know, things that have won some of the top festivals in the world. Those are the things that, you know, the streaming platforms and distributors are trying to scoop up, uh, you know, what's the next level or what's the next, the next layer. Well, actually might be the festival winners at, you know, lesser known festivals, you know, things that are specific to a certain audience that a distributor is looking for or a streaming platform is looking for. Uh, and then you have all the people who, um, were nominated for awards at those festivals. So I think that, you know, you, if you have content out there, this is definitely an opportunity. Uh, but I think there's still going to be a certain level of uh, screening that's going to be that's going to happen right mm-hmm. with the process. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely say, yeah, if you've got anything out there that has been nominated for an award, anything that's won an award, and I think we're looking at, I mean, there, I don't know how far back they're going to start going, Chris, with this. You know, it's like a year to two years. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe two years is it, uh, but there's some period of time. You know, if you've got something that's won or been nominated over the past two years, uh, if you have a distributor, you should definitely be pushing them to to talk to the Netflixes of the world. Say, hey, you know, this is we know you're running out of content. We've got this award-winning content that we think would be great for you. And if you have not gotten distribution, same thing. You know, you have something to position uh, to a distributor right now uh, because there's a need for more content. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you, if you are in that process where, where, uh, your film's not, uh, in that distribution process and in that place within your distribution where your film is out there, but it's not on the bigger platforms. They didn't, they didn't buy your film. This is a great opportunity to sell it back to them or, or sell it to them, uh, at some price and then get yourself more viewers. Or it's a great opportunity to maybe go back to investors and say, Hey, you know, filmmakers are always asking, where do we spend the money we have right now? How do I continue to push my film since I didn't self-distribute? 
how do I go in and, and continue to support this film in the best way? Like what's the best investment? And we've said things like that were focused on uh, guerrilla marketing, for example, where you can create a pop-up table and sell your Blu-rays and DVDs and then make some merch and sell that. And that might be a nice little way to spend some money or you can spend some money building an email list or buying an email list and then creating some content, sending your stuff out through MailChimp might be a way. But then this is also another way where you could go out and you could spend some money on marketing, whether it be online or, or um, on television um, or, you know, just to, just to put, or on a billboard, for example, uh, you might spend money do, doing that, knowing that you're in this this time. Now, I guess a billboard would be uh, the wrong one because no one's outside. But but the idea is to place the ad somewhere where people are going to see it in this time and in this moment. And so maybe on, on OTT, uh, um, on, on the Apple TVs, for example, is something me and Nick have explored. So you do that and then you put your movie back up for sale and for rent at, at the normal price. And, and then your, your movie can make some unprecedented profits, but I think the window is short. I do. I think you're starting to see uh, the bubbling up Nick of, of some angst. <laughs> I think you're starting to see some protests, some people that are ready to leave the house. Yeah. And um, I, I think he, I think on both pieces of advice. So, Okay, create create content that could possibly be sold through a sales agent or through a talent agent to Quibi or any of their competitors and forthcoming competitors. Right? That's that's A. B, if you already have a film distributed or you're looking for distribution, now is the most leverage you are ever going to have. <laughs> in this market, you just yeah. you just will never have more leverage. But I think that the window for both piece of advice is about sixty days or less. Yeah, and I, I want to go back to that one statement you just mentioned about leverage. Yeah, I think that this, this is something that you know filmmakers either don't believe that they have, or just don't understand that part of the game that that they actually have leverage. And like you said, this is the most you'll have because of the desire for more content, right? I mean, we're just consuming content at a just ridiculous rate right now. Um, so I think that on top of you having the leverage as a filmmaker, then the other thing that you have to do, which unfortunately, you know, in our years in the business, we're not seeing a lot of filmmakers do this, which is you have to be proactive, you know, like right. your responsibility to your film doesn't end once the, the final cut is there, right? It's, it's for the life of the film. So this is an opportunity. Like it, you're, you can't expect your distributor to be pushing your stuff, you right. know, even though it would be potentially be of benefit to them to, to take advantage of this unprecedented time as well. You can't sit back and you're listening to us. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, if those guys are talking about, it, I bet you my distributor's doing it. No, not necessarily. You know, and we know that, you know, as distributors get their stuff out to uh, streaming platforms, they're doing so in slates and not necessarily as individual films. Um, you know, how do you guarantee that your film is part of a slate? Right. You know, uh, you have to make that phone call. You know, you got to, you know, send that email. You got to make that contact with your distributors to see what their plans are for your film and, and when you would find out what that next thing is. And like you said, if you got stuff that's on the shelf right now that hasn't made it to distribution, like it's not going to magically jump off that shelf. 
you know, distributors aren't going to be calling you and be like, oh, remember that film you made? No, they're not doing that because they still have slates of content that they need to push and they don't know you. Right. So in order for you to get your content out there and and use your leverage, which is uh, the content that you've created that may have won an award, been nominated for an award or is just a great piece of content. This is your opportunity to push that. Be proactive. Get out there and you know try to get your content onto one of these platforms. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a, and it's a really you know, fantastic, fantastic point. Um, that that you make there, um, it, it has me it has me thinking about too just how important. Now I know that this wasn't your point, but it feels like it has to be said that um, you have to go back to when you actually signed your contract with your your distributor as well to to make sure that that your film can you know stand alone and isn't part of a slate where you're splitting profits within the slate right and that's that's one of the uh, the tricks of of being in a slate is that um you oftentimes are sold as a slate to a platform and then all those profits are split evenly even if your film gets more views and and, uh, and you'll never know because the report just shows here's the views, here's what it is. Uh, but, but you have to look at your contract and make sure you're not splitting fees with the rest of your slate. Because I think the worst thing you want to be, Nick, in independent film is the best film of 10 in your slate. Right. Like so your, your film is driving every sale, but you have to split the profits equally with the other nine films behind you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, we know that that's the. Um the the distribution model right is for the distributors to have a slate um so you know they're looking for that one film to potentially carry the other ones but as the filmmaker you're absolutely right you don't want to be splitting your stuff with the rest of them yeah yeah that, that <laughs> and, and to be the best if you're the worst film in the slate then you're going to benefit from the best film in the slate right like it's Sorry. like yep. if you're the worst film in the slate great you know yep. if you're the wor- if you're the best film in the slate Oh no, you have to make sure that your profits stand alone and that you can sell me in the slate, but don't split my, don't split my money with the rest of the slate because, um, you're driving every sale anyway. And you know, uh, the the other thing you mentioned in there too, was, was just understanding your leverage and understanding, um, you know, you know, that the distributor is not going to push this stuff out for you. And, uh, I just was reminded of, of, uh, Prospectus we were sent this week, uh, two three million dollar film, uh, no line items for branding or marketing it. Yeah. So so <laughs> so you, I, I want to say I'm surprised, but I've seen too many of these. You've seen too many of these to yep. be surprised. Um, so here you're going to spend three million dollars of someone's money, and and there's zero allocated, no plan whatsoever to market it. And that is almost always founded on the misnomer that the distributor is going to take on that responsibility for you. Even if you get a distributor that does take on that responsibility for you, they charge you an arm and a leg. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to pay for it anyway. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> money, charge. right. The money is, is, significantly more through the distributor than it would be through yourself and through your own plan. So 
um, you know, that's just something to think about as you're as you're putting your perspectives and your budget lines together. Do not leave off the line for marketing and branding. And look, it's not self-serving. If you don't if you don't come and talk to Bonsai about it, fine. But just have talk to somebody, right? <laughs> I have the money to, to go to someone to, 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 to get that done because you will be highly disappointed and, and 100% blindsided by the lack of uh, involvement the distributor might have in your particular film, especially if it's a true indie film. Uh, you know, if you make the next paranormal activity, uh, you won't be in the boat we're talking about. You'll be in a different boat. You'll still have to pay out the ass for uh, the marketing and, and positioning by the distributor, but that won't matter because you will have brought in $400 million at the box office. Yep, so um, on to this last piece, Nick, and this is just something I think that is so um, aligned with what we're all going through with this safer at home period and with COVID-19 and, it, you know, I think it's a reminder. Um, we, we read the same article this week and, and you know, I'm a, no secret. I'm a journalism major. I went to college for journalism. And um, so I'm always tracking and following how journalists are reacting to certain things and, and, and how they're using their platform. And we thought it was a nice tie in to talk about some of the troubling things we're seeing being used are, are, are happening with with the platform that journalists have. And and we want to use this this warning shot as a as a reminder to creatives to, to not abuse their platforms um, and, and and honor the platform. Uh, so, Nick, why don't you uh, launch us off uh, uh, on this topic a little bit, launch us in the, into this topic rather. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, like, I want to keep this one, you know, brief because, you know, we can get into this in so many different levels and, and get to the point of even ranting about some of the stuff that's happening out there in the world when it comes to, to media, social media, clickbait, you know, fake news, all this kind of stuff. And, and that, you know, that's not really what we're about here. Um, that's not a conversation we want to really get into. Uh, but because this is, you know, something that's showing up on the cover of variety is coming in on Hollywood reporter, you know, E news and a lot of different places, you know, I thought it was something that, you know, a lot of folks who are listening to this podcast would also have seen. And, you know, this is the article that's coming in about Nick Cordero and the fact that, you know, he has had an amputation, right? He's had his leg amputated, um, apparently due to COVID-19 um, complications, right? So you have one article that says Broadway, Broadway star Nick Cordero to have leg amputated due to coronavirus complications. Nick Cordero's wife says his leg will need to be amputated as he battles COVID-19. Another one, Broadway star Nick Cordero will have his right leg amputated because of COVID-19 complications. If you read the article, which I'm sure everyone has because it is just that, it's clickbait, uh, it's very sensational, right? It is, as you mentioned, Chris, when we talked about it earlier, it's like, this is such an extreme outlier to everything we've heard about this virus that you have to click on this. Like, this can't be the next evolution of the illness that people are having their legs amputated because of it, right? Like, right. it's a frightening, terrifying idea that this is a possibility. And then you click in on the article and you realize that, you know, his issues that got him into the hospital in the first place, you know, had to do with uh, a diagnosis of a new of pneumonia. 
and that he actually was not diagnosed with COVID-19 causing his hospital visit. And he also realized that, you know, he was on blood thinners because, you know, they were con- there were concerns about blood clotting, you know, things that actually had nothing to do with COVID-19. He went through two tests of COVID-19 and both were negative. And then the third was positive. And it makes you think about this. Remember, the third was positive. The first two were negative. Okay. The first two, when he, w- he arrived at the hospital, diagnosed with pneumonia, dealing with challenges associated with that, on blood thinners, dealing challenges with, uh, with challenges associated with that, uh, they keep testing him. Mm-hmm. Right for COVID nineteen, uh, which may actually be um, a, a decent protocol because of the fact that you're now in a hospital, right? So you're now in the place where you can actually contract this thing, uh, and you were very sick. So now you're one of those people who, if you get it, your complications could be more significant, right? So they're testing him again, um, but as you as you kind of follow this story through. You know, there's really no ties in any of these articles that say any doctor, any specialist, any expert in the field has determined that the cause of his leg amputation was COVID-19. Yes. And that's the that's the crazy part about this. So, again, get, getting back to what you started out saying, Chris, is that, you know, the way that I see this and I've, I've read comments on a number of these articles as well, so I'm not alone in this, but it's just irresponsible journalism. And, you know, when I look at this I, and I see that these journalists are also, you know, in their own way, of course, content creators. And I look at our the people that we're speaking to who are creating content, whether it's in short form, micro form, feature film form. And I think about, you know, that great Spider-Man saying, right, with great uh, power comes great responsibility. And I feel like our content creating community out there has a great responsibility not to do stuff like this. I like guess one thing to capitalize on a period like this by getting your film out to distributors or getting your films into the hands of people who can watch. That's one thing, you know, and we can call that capitalizing. But when you exploit a time like this um, for in, in such a way that just it shifts the facts and 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 scares people uh, unnecessarily. I think that is just um, it's self-serving and it does not provide what we as a society need right now. And yeah, just watching stuff like this, just kind of as you can tell, it, it pains me to see this. And I just continue to say to filmmakers, content creators, please just even though this is the thing that gets people to click. It gets people to click and makes them really mad, right? right? So, like, don't don't go down that route. You don't have to do that in order to get people to consume your content. You know, uh, the latest Bill Maher episode on his new rules segment um, speaks to a little bit of the fear porn that's out there right now with journalists, and um, it's a shame because you know, going to journalism school, it taught me the, you know the most interesting. Uh, part about uh, journalism in, in terms of the way it's presented is framing. And when you learn about framing and how you frame a story, it's the difference between uh, see humans like to uh, follow stories. And this is goes back to Joseph, Joseph Campbell kind of theory and stuff. Um, it's like, we need to know who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. And that's why you frame a story. That's why in a lot of stories, uh, X country is the bad guy. 
X or a Y country is the good guy. And then if you go to that country, that was the bad guy. It's 100% reversed. Right. And it makes it very difficult for the consumer of the information to understand what's real and what's true, which is why you're never supposed to write yourself into a story because you want to remain objective on both sides of the story. But that is violated on a regular basis now as well. So I think what we're seeing is, is really kind of scary and, 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 it feels like the internet has maybe changed journalism forever, or maybe there needs to be two silos of journalism, one that's on the internet and one that's not, but you know, that doesn't seem feasible. Right. Um, and as a content creator, you might be saying, well, how do we, how would we get this wrong? Well, if you look historically at Hollywood, how were black people portrayed? How were native Americans portrayed? Right. They had this great platform. They had a great responsibility to show people as they really are, but they didn't, they didn't do that. Right. Um, they, they showed, uh, uh, you know, contemporarily if, if, a, if black people are in movies, they're robbers, rapists, drug dealers, thugs, etc. Right. So, um, it's, we're seeing a lot less of that now. I think black as fuck just rolled out, but, yep. but even that's kind of, uh, it, over the top in your face, <laughs> like the lead character's name is Kenya <laughs> 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 or, or you just can't find normalcy in anything. Um, if, if, if the subject matter is, is, you know, race, I guess, but, um, but that's just an example of how you can misuse your platform to, to sensationalize, um, more than inform and educate. So, um, I think this story is, uh, when I read it, it it's the most clickbaity thing around this possible. And I think everyone's so scared that you really have to do a great job of curating where you get your information and the number one resource and you know, this podcast is all about resources, right? And, and helping the number one resource for helping assage any kind of fear is to first start with education. And I literally mean, don't read about this virus, read about viruses. And when you realize a virus is a piece of RNA or DNA it can be either one uh, wrapped in a, protein and then wrapped in fat and this is how they survive. And, you know, they're not really alive. Bacteria is alive. Viruses aren't. You just learn about how viruses work. Then you start to be able to parse the bullshit from what's the real stuff because you actually know a little bit about what this is. So people can't feed you bullshit like a virus caused my leg to be amputated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and with that said, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's pull it back a little bit and just say that, you know, we, we're specifically talking about, you know, the sensationalism of this article and, and how there's other content out there that is feeding the, what, you know, we would call the mass hysteria, the confusion right. and some of that, you know, you could call it fake news if you want, but just disinformation and misinformation about this. Um, but like I said, I wanted to pull it back and just say that, you know, um, as content creators, as members of the filmmaking community, and as, as just humans ourselves, you know, our, our hearts and, and minds and thoughts and, and prayers go out to Nick Cordero, his family, you know, his wife, Amanda Klutz, 
you know, it's regardless of, of the, the cause of this thing and regardless of what the media is saying right now, you know, they're going through a terrible time. And, you know, we just want to say, you know, we, we really hope that, you know, they're able to get through this uh, together. Uh, we hope that he's able to come home and recover, you know, considering the fact that he was diagnosed on the third time with COVID. You know, I'm not sure what that means for, you know, his being quarantined and his being able to get back to his family. I know that they were they've been separated for some time. I think he went into the hospital at the end of March. Um, and all of these all this news is coming out just recently about the amputation. So this is, you know, two almost three weeks of, of him being, you know, hospitalized uh, with more time still yet to come potentially before he can be with his family. So again, I just want to say that, you know, we're definitely uh, not downplaying, you know, what is actually happening to him and his family through this uh, and our hearts, you know, go out to him and our thoughts go out to him as well and his family. Yeah, I love that. And that's exactly right. So our critique is strictly about how things are being reported uh, in a way that's irresponsible. Um, the the one thing that's been consistent across the board, Nick, has been that there's extreme loneliness if you are hospitalized with COVID because no one can see you. You're, you're quarantined from everyone and you're left in there in this state of absolute anxiety and panic of, am I going to die in this bed alone and never see the people that love me most and that I love most again? And, uh, and you know, he could potentially be going through that. And, uh, and so, and that's, that's, that part is no joke. Um, yeah. so with that, Nick, it's been another lovely conversation with you. I always enjoy it. Uh, if you, uh, enjoyed this and want to learn more, you can do that. Let me tell you how <laughs> you can reach out to us uh, with questions, concerns, comments at uh, you can email us uh, at contact at bonsai.film. That's B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. You can also find us on social media at Instagram and Twitter at underscore bonsai creative. You can find us on Facebook by simply searching for bonsai creative and we'll come right up. Uh, you can reach out to Nick and I individually on Twitter. Uh, his is just at Nicholas Bugs, but you can also type in, uh, they call him Mr. Bugs. And for me, it would be at Flame in Your Heart. So F L A M E U R, or I'm sorry, I N U R H A R T. So Flame in Your Heart. You're spelled U R. Um, or you could probably just search my name, Christopher Barkley, and you'll get that as well. So. Without further ado, I'll leave it to you, Nick. Sign us off with the uh, credo. Yeah, man. As always, be better, be creative, and be engaged. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it again. All right. Peace. All right, man. Laters. Later. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. 
And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.